0: Okay guys, tonight's uh, Garden of Amunu class is called Faith in the Red Heifer. This week's Torah portion is Parshat Chukas, Chukat, and it's the uh, laws, it begins with the laws of the Red Heifer. And uh, the word Chukah, Chok, it's one of three type of mitzvot that we have, and there's the one that's called the Statute and the Rashi immediately tells us that this is the one that we don't understand any logical reason for it and because we don't understand any logical reason for it it's that's why it's um, done through obedience and we're going to talk about that Uh, obedience is the service of faith this what i'm about to share with you tonight tonight's uh, lecture is based on a mimer a hasidic discourse That the Rebbe gave in 1965 a very powerful discourse and i'm going to share with you just the opening questions and then my job is to adapt it i'm not here just to give over the mind as was said it's uh, actually the Rebbe has charged us to adapt it to what we need to talk about but i do want to start with the opening questions because the questions are very powerful questions and will put us into perspective number one pora duma is a fact Duma, the red heifer, the process of purification um, that was done through the paraduma. It is the only statute that King Solomon could not understand. King Solomon, the wisest of all men, men he actually did have some understanding, some rationale to all the other statutes. And by the word statute I mean chok and I mean not a judgment or testimony which does have place in logic. I mean a chok of which it is said I have decreed it so, it's not for you to understand. Yet when it came to the red heifer he said I will wisen, I will try to figure it out and then he concludes with Re memeni, it remained distant from me. I can't understand the red heifer. The process of the red heifer doesn't understand. Okay, fact number one. The Rebbe introduced that in the Mimer. Another thing. The concept of the opening verse, Zot Chukat HaTorah, this is the statutes of the Torah, tells me that this is not just an individual mitzvah, but rather certain mitzvot have the power of being general mitzvot, which imbue all the mitzvot with a certain aspect. The fact that this is not called the Statute of the Red Heifer, but rather it is called the Statute of the Torah, tells me that this statute is not just an individual statute, but rather this statute is one that imbues the entire, all 613 mitzvot, with a certain aspect, in which it serves as a gateway as a source for all other mitzvot in this specific aspect. We'll talk about that in a moment. Another point the Rebbe, the Rebbe makes is that why is it called chukat torah It should have been called chukat ha-mitzvot. Torah refers to the study of Torah. Chukat is a statute. It's one of the 613 commandments. It should have said, Zot chukat ha-mitzvot. It shouldn't have said, Zot It gets even deeper than that. Torah is the embodiment of wisdom. Chachmat Hashem. The wisdom of God. While mitzvot is the embodiment of ratzon Hashem. The will of God. Two different things. Especially when we're talking about statutes. Statutes and Torah seem to be contradictory. Because Torah is chachma, chachmah is about wisdom, it's about understanding. We need to understand the Torah that we learn. While mitzvot is will, razon, razon Hashem, the will of God can transcend beyond our human logic. Why do we do it? Because He wants us to do it. But when we talk about Torah, Torah is all about studying and understanding it. It is the wisdom so, the fact that it says chukata Torah and not chukata mitzvot is not just a question on the level of chukat is a mitzvah, but it gets even deeper than that. Because by definition, chukat, which is a statute, which is beyond rationale and logic that humans can comprehend, is contradictory to everything that Torah stands for, because the whole point of Torah is to study it and understand it. Couple of questions lined up here. One more question. And then we'll get into the Garden of Amuna aspect, the Amuna aspect of tonight's class lecture. Chasidis does give insight to the red heifer. And not only does it give insight to the red heifer as an individual mitzvah, it actually gives insight into why it's the Chukat HaTorah. It's a general dynamic mitzvah which is a gateway and imbues all of Torah and mitzvot with a very fundamental power which comes through the red heifer. What is that? The secret of the red heifer, the way it's taught in the mystical teachings is that it has to do with fire and water. When you read a portion of the red heifer, you'll see that the major service is divided into two number one the entire red heifer is burnt it's turned into ashes after it's slaughtered it is completely burned in its entirety so that's fire the concept of fire and then it says that you will place these ashes mayim chayim el keli. In living waters in a vessel. So what is the concept of the red heifer, according to the secrets of Kabbalah, the way it's taught in Chassidot, is Ish Umayim, fire and water. Those of you who know, Agam made a beautiful piece in Tel Aviv, also called Esh and Mayim. Because it's an artist, it's a very beautiful concept. Two opposites, Ish Umayim, fire and water. What makes it so beautiful in the world of Chassidus is, that Aisha and Mayim represent the two fundamental directions in our relationship and service with God. Fire, no matter how you hold the candle, the flame will always point upwards. The flame actually, if you watch carefully, the wick jumps off the wick, comes back. Jumps off the wick, comes back. If you watch carefully, the connection. It's always jumping up. This is called in Hasidut, Ratzoy. Ratzoy Is the concept of yearning it's the concept of ebb to ebb away to leave the embodiment and go back up water has the exact opposite property water will always seep downwards as you know water will always seep downwards until it hits the bedrock on the under the earth and then it goes back up but water by nature is always down Ma mayim yordim makom narmuch. Water is always going down. That is the opposite, the flow. Ebb and flow. Yearning upwards, returning downwards. That basically is the entire service of Torah and mitzvot. The ebb and flow between creation's relationship with Creator. That's why everything in life has to do with those two dynamics. The breathing, in, out. Everything is always the same way. You need to give off and then you need to rejuvenate. That's what it is, ebb and flow. You have a passion, a yearning to want to be one with God and that needs to lead you into returning into behaviors according to the will of God. Again, the flow of love, returning to service. Ratsui veshuv, ebb and flow. Esh umayim. Now the question here is, that I started off by telling you that even King Solomon couldn't understand. And this is the ultimate chok, the ultimate statute, the ultimate mitzvah, which goes beyond all rationale. And that is not just an individual chok, but it is the general chok, statute, which empowers and imbues all mitzvot with the dynamic of chok, transcendence beyond human logic. And then I just told you, the this explains it. <laughs> Make up your mind. Is it beyond rationale, or do we now understand it? Ebb and flow, fire and water. Okay? The balance. Okay, let's now talk about the Garden of Amuna part of it. For the Garden of Amuna part of it, I want to introduce to you a new translation which the Alter Rebbe, the founder of Chabad Lubavitch, gives into the inside of the word Chok. The word Chok means Chakika, engraving, Chakuk. There are three different levels of letters in the Torah. There is written letters as the Sefer Torah that you see comes out of the ark every single week. It has ink on parchment written letters. Generally speaking when we talk about written letters we're talking about the ink is one, the parchment is two, it connects together understanding that sometimes it can separate and crack so there is a unity between the letter and the parchment upon which it is but nevertheless it's two separate identities connected which can sometimes crack and separate. In engraved letters we learn in Kabbalah there's two levels of engraved letters. One level is the normal engraving that you would see that means, let's say, just give you an example. Let's say that the, uh, the diamond or whatever it is, the rock, is, let's say, three inches thick. You engrave the letter into it an uh, inch thick, a half an inch thick. One type of engraving. The letters and the rock are one, there is no ink parchment the letters are actually carved out of the rock. Okay? But, do understand that in such a situation where the rock is three inches thick and the engraved letter is a half an inch, an inch, two inch, two and a half inches, but the mere fact that it's not through and through with the rock, someone can come and pour in ink, cement and take away the engraved letter the ultimate engraved letter according to the teachings of Kabbalah is the engraved letters the way they were in the two tablets, the two Luchot Tabrit that Moshe Rabbeinu brought down you learn in the Gemara it says that the letters were engraved through and through so much so that if you know your Hebrew alphabet that creates a big problem. Why does that create a big problem? Because when you deal with the letter Samach or you deal with the letter Mem Sofit it is impossible to do that because if you engrave a full square then the piece in middle will fall out and that's why the Talmud says that the Samach and the Mem Sofit It was a miracle that it stayed in because it was engraved through and through and yet nevertheless, the centerpiece of the Samach and the Mem as a miracle stood. Those type of engraved letters are the ultimate engraved letters because you can never fill them up. You pour in ink on one side, it falls out the other side. It is. Not only that, but if you understand in precious stones, when you engrave partially through a stone, a diamond, at the place of engraving, you actually ruin the way the light shines off of it. But if it goes through and through, then it doesn't botch up the way the sun reflects in those different pyramid angles, the way it sparkles. Why am I talking to you about this? Because when we talk about, we're about to talk, if you remember last week I discussed with you, two weeks ago, I'm sorry, I discussed with you the difference between objective and subjective faith, Emuna. I spoke to you last week that objective faith does not become yours, one with you. It is an abstract, perfect ideology And my mind is an imperfect, human, tangible machine. So when you try to put those two together, you have a problem. So I was suggesting the last time we got together, the necessity to have subjective faith versus just objective faith. I spoke to you about taking the infinite lights of Tohu and making sure that they're absorbed into the finite vessels of Tikkun. I spoke to you about taking the perfect wisdom of God and drawing it into the imperfect, finite capacity of the human mind. What I'm going to share with you this week is a little bit different. It's actually going to teach us how the deepest level of faith is engraved within your soul that it becomes one with the essence of your soul. So let's talk about this. Written letters, according to Kabbalah, represent the different levels of the faculties of your soul. For example, chachma, wisdom. Wisdom is not you and you are not wisdom. Wisdom isn't your soul and your soul isn't the Wisdom. If you wanted to see the essence of your soul you would not see wisdom because wisdom is a finite description it's a faculty wisdom is not understanding understanding is not wisdom they're two different type of intellects so the minute you talk about a form and a shape what it is and what it isn't essence it isn't because essence is simplicity so when you talk about Wisdom, we talk about the written letter. It's not the essence of your soul, but wisdom is the first of the ten faculties of your soul. That's why wisdom is the closest thing to hit home to your soul. In Kabbalah, for example, chachma, wisdom, is seeing. Bina, understanding is hearing, and there's the famous saying, hearing something and seeing something is very different. When you see something, it hits home. It becomes unquestionable. When you hear something, even from someone that you ultimately trust, but you heard it. That is why the Talmud says, a witness cannot be a judge. Because the judge needs to be able to separate himself from both sides to equally hear both sides. Once you saw something, it's not within your capacity to separate yourself from it. So seeing Chachma is not something totally separated, but it's like the written letter. It's like ink on parchment. We're going to have the questions at the end. I, I do have a question and answer right now. I just want a monologue, okay? At the end, I'll be here to answer questions. Going back to our conversation here, the exploration of what we're doing here is, is understanding that when you deal with all the other levels of the Torah, which is chachmah, ultimately speaking, the learning of it is not one with you to the point where it is the essence of you and your essence has become completely one with it. There will remain you and what you understand. It isn't one and the same. Aha, I understand it, it is me. <laughs> For example, the famous saying, they, they say it about Aristotle because of a story that happened, And he asked, does a mathematician become a triangle? Just because he studies and understands angles. There's wisdom and there's you. Wisdom is very close with you. Perception really defines you, but it isn't you. When you talk about engraved letters, here we have two different types of engraved letters. The engraved letters, which are partially engraved, they're not through and through, and there's the letters that are engraved through and through. When we talk about Zot Chukat HaTorah, what we need to introduce here is that the relationship between a Jew and faith needs to be, and by definition is, where it becomes one and inseparable from the essence of your soul. Famous teaching, came the prophet Habakbuk, and he put all 630 mitzvot on one foundation. And what is that one foundation? Faith. Now I want to stop here for a moment, and talk about faith in, as an action, not as a noun a verb, an action verb. What is faith as an action verb? When I talk about the service of God, not the question, do I have faith or don't I have faith, but rather the action of faith. Let's talk about this practically. I can do a mitzvah driven by faith, or I can do a mitzvah driven by another reason. Love, my love for God, my fear of God, my understanding of God, my appreciation of my understanding what God is doing with this mitzvah, how this mitzvah makes me a better person. There are so many different forces which can drive us to do a mitzvah. I can do it because of the logic, I can do it because of the love, I can do it because of the fear, but then I can do it with faith what does that mean talk to me english what does it mean that i am doing a mitzvah with faith what it will mean in simple language is that i am doing a mitzvah with obedience with kabbalat ol. i am doing this mitzvah as accepting a yoke This is what God said, and I have no choice. It's not about whether I understand or don't understand. It's not about whether I agree or I disagree. It's not about whether I feel or I don't feel. You will remember that in our high holiday prayers, we keep on saying the words of Vinu Malkenu, Father King. Im If we are like sons or we are like servants, why are we introducing a king if we have the father relationship? Why am I introducing a servant if I have the son relationship? And the answer is because when we talk about king-subject, king-servant, master-servant relationship, we are talking about obedience. Now there is something that obedience offers us that even the beautiful romantic father-son relationship, parent-child relationship will not offer us. And that is what makes this mitzvah that even King Solomon could not understand the ultimate mitzvah, not only the ultimate mitzvah of mitzvot, but the ultimate mitzvah, even of Torah, as Torah is wisdom. Chachmat Torah. zot chukat ha-Torah. Because of what it offers us, that nothing else can offer us. Because if you understand and you appreciate, then it is something in addition to you. It is not one with you, it is because you understand it, because you appreciate it, because you love it, because you're afraid of it, whatever it may be. At best, you're reaching the written letter, and even when it comes to other chukim, even when it comes to other statutes that we do not understand, Ones that are used in Rashi, for examples, you have the Eglarufa, we have the Shatniz, the wool and the linen. There are many mitzvot that fit into the category of Chukim. But the mere fact that King Solomon understood those tells me that they are statutes that relate to logic. We just don't understand them, but they relate to logic. logic. The fact that even King Solomon could not understand the statute of Red Heifer tells me that this is a statute that does not even relate to logic. To the point where God tells Moses, to you I will explain this. And the Medrash says that when Moses learned the laws of impurity, he asked God, but how will these people ever become pure? God remained silent. It says, Nechmaru Ponov. His face became darkened. He said, Oh my God, there's a situation, a point of no return. Only when God started this week's Torah portion, God said, This will be the answer to the question you asked me before. This will be their purification. And it was given to Moses as a final gift to understand it because it is beyond logic, it does not relate to logic. And therefore, even King Solomon couldn't grapple with it. He couldn't grasp it. Because other chukim transcend logic, but they are related to logic. This one transcends logic and has no relationship to logic. So within engraved letters itself, it is an engraved letter through and through, which does not create a vessel allowing me to fill it, with any form of logic. I cannot touch this from any direction. The human gift of intellect cannot connect with this mitzvah. And that's why this mitzvah is the ultimate engraved letter. Now here is the interesting point. It seems to be that I'm telling you that if there's any mitzvah, which is the most disconnected from the human being, it is this mitzvah. We can't touch it from any angle. It seems to be what I'm telling you, that all the other statutes, even though I can't understand it, but the mere fact that King Solomon did understand it, and he's telling me that it is related, fourth cousin twice removed, but it is related to intellect. Okay, so I have some type of relationship here. And yet this mitzvah, because I'm telling you, zero, nada, zilch, connection with human intellect, it seems to be what I'm telling you is that this mitzvah is the ultimate disconnect from the human being. And yet what I'm telling you is exactly the opposite. Because if you were to take the absolute pure essence of the soul, you will realize that wisdom isn't there. What is there is pure faith. Faith that cannot connect with logic. It is because it is because it is. It is a piece of and thus it doesn't need to understand. It is. And now you understand the beauty of the ultimate engraved letter through and through, where the letter is unshakably, unchangeably one with the rock in which it was engraved through and through. So if you want to talk about the ultimate mitzvah, which touches and is one with the essence of the Jew, It is the mitzvah that transcends logic and has zero relationship to logic. Because logic is just a darkening of the true ultimate light of the soul. Just like wisdom, which is one of the ten faculties, is already an impeachment upon the essence. You've heard me say this to you before, I'll say it again as a kid. I used to look outside the window, my New York window, and I used to love the snow, pure white. And I always had an animosity for the first footprints put into that snow. Don't mess it up. It's gorgeous. Wisdom, my friends, are the first footprints into that beautiful, untouched essence of your soul. And thus, the mitzvah of the red heifer, which allows for no wisdom, is the ultimate purity with zero footprints. It is the ultimate obedience of Hineni God. Why Hineni? Because I and you are one. The essence of my soul is... A piece of Creator, not creation. It is a chunk of that pure, beautiful, untouched snow. So the red heifer mitzvah, by the mere fact that it transcends and disconnects from all the faculties that we know as human beings, is not the disconnect of the human, it is the ultimate connection to the essence of the godly soul because there's no footprints there to get in the way. Now we'll understand a lot of the opening questions and comments. Why does it say Zot khukat haTorah and not Zot mitzvot? haMitzvot? why it is the ultimate statute of all mitzvot and why this is the statute that imbues all other mitzvot with this fundamental power we understand because every other mitzvah including the other statutes that don't make sense to us but there is footprints king solomon's wisdom did understand it It is a fourth cousin twice removed to wisdom, even though it transcends your logic and my logic. So why this is the ultimate mitzvah, why it should be called chukat ha-mitzvot, I understand. Because this has what no other mitzvah has. It's the absolute untouched, pure white snow, the essence of our soul, the absolute obedience. Of the oneness between my soul and God. For my soul is ultimately a piece of God. But why is it called Zot Chukat HaTorah? Torah Torah is wisdom. How can it be Chukat HaTorah? That's a dichotomy right there. Either Chukat or Torah. Aha. Because when we can appreciate That the ultimate oneness of the soul is faith. Defined as obedience. I don't understand. I just absolutely believe and I will do. Because this is the ultimate oneness of the essence of the soul, therefore it permeates all the faculties of the soul, including wisdom. Because if wisdom is a faculty that comes from the essence of the soul and the essence of the soul is obedience, then obedience can even permeate wisdom. It is even the underlying essence of wisdom. Let's explain this for a moment. Let's make just practical sense of what we're saying. When you learn Torah, I've mentioned to you time before, that when we learn Torah in Hasidic yeshivas, you always have that opening. hey, look at Gemara, says the holy Gemara. What holy? Talmud needs to be understood. So let's get the holy out of the way. Because when you make it holy, then you're afraid to ask questions. So it's going to interfere with your intellectual pursuit. The intellectual pursuit needs to have no interference. It's Talmud. We need to learn it. We need to understand it. That's not the way they learn in Yeshivas. This is not geometry. This is God's holy Torah. Because the foundation before wisdom is faith. And that's why... When you ask a question on the Torah, you never say the words, this is ridiculous, this makes no sense, this got to be wrong. It's always, dear God, please have compassion on me and open up my brain to understand what your Torah is saying. That is a statement of faith. That is letting know up front that the Torah is not subject to human capacity of wisdom, not even the ultimate King Solomonic wisdom, because the Torah is God's. So, even in approaching understanding and studying, I first say naase and then nishma. Naase and nishma in the world of Chabad doesn't just mean I will do the mitzvot and then I'll understand the reason. No. Naase v'nishma means that even when I open up the Talmud, I'll first declare that my study is based upon na'ase, obedience, acceptance, faith. Now that I understand that every word on this page is absolute, now let me apply my brain of relativity. And how can you do that? It's a dichotomy. Either it's wisdom, Or it's faith. And the answer is, when you realize that the essence of your soul is faith and obedience, then you realize that every faculty that comes from the soul, starting with wisdom, is built upon, imbued with the essence of the soul, which is obedience. So while you think, aha, I understand it, I'm finally becoming one with it. Uh uh-uh. uh. You became one with it before you understood it. Understanding it could, God forbid, be putting footprints into the snow. Unless your understanding is imbued with Na'asev in Ishma, faith, understanding. Thus we say, Zot chukat ha Torah. Because once you realize that the ultimate engraving into the soul, which is the essence of the soul, one part and parcel of the soul, is not wisdom. That's a darkened spot. That's a footstep. That is a faculty of the soul, not the soul, not the essence of the soul. The essence of the soul is obedience, faith, one with Hashem. Based on that, all my faculties can now be with obedience. I can understand with obedience. <laughs> I can feel with obedience. What happens if the holiday comes and you're not happy, but it says in the holiday you have to be happy? What happens if you are happy? but you're happy because of your own personal reasons. Can we change that? Yes, you can. Because all the faculties of intellect and emotions are offshoots, are faculties of the soul and the essence of the soul is obedience. Thus obedience permeates and is the lifeline of my wisdom, understanding, knowledge, love, fear, compassion and the rest of the emotions. I want to, it's 8.51, I want to wrap it up. Because if you're paying attention to what I'm saying in relationship to what we spoke about the last time we met, you will notice that I'm contradicting everything I said last time. Last time I suggested to you that objective faith is not real to a subjective human being. I suggested last week, last time we met, that absolute faith to a product of relativity won't work. It'll work when we're sitting here beautifully with nothing to worry about sitting at a shiur. It won't work when you open up your mail and there's a bill that you don't know how you're going to pay. So last time we met, I was pushing for make the objective subjective make the infinite finite, absorb it. I don't take back what I said. Because then I was dealing with your faculties. I was dealing with the outer layer of the human being. Today as we enter into Parshat Chukat, I am telling you that beneath all the relativity, you are a Jew. And the essence of your soul is absolute. And because everything you have comes from that absolute, so within your relativity is absolute. And that's why Zot Chukat HaTorah, even the relativity of wisdom, has within it the lifeline of absolute obedience and faith. And thus, I'm about to share with you the impossible. The Jew can make the two meet. The two absolute opposites of objective and subjective, absolute and relativity. Because that's what God made us to be. The essence of our soul is absolute obedience, And from there comes forth ten faculties of relativity. Each one with its own finite definition and form, and proper place to use, and improper place to use. There's a time for wisdom, a time for understanding, a time for kindness, a time for strictness, a time for love, a time for fear. When you meet someone who laughs in a sad situation, you're talking about immaturity. That's relative. There's a time for this, a time for that. That means relative. But within all relativity exists the essence from which everything comes, which is absolute, which is obedience. And that's why you can obediently do with joy what you don't understand, what is against your very nature. How can you obediently do Something that's against your nature that you absolutely don't enjoy and you're doing it with joy. Because the essence of your nature is absolute obedience, faith, one with Hashem. Did this come across clear? Because it was a little deeper than the last class. It seems to contradict the last class, but I just wanted this to be said. It's the ultimate... Ultimate inner meaning of this week's Torah portion, Zot Chukat HaTorah. The essence, the letters that are one with you, not footsteps on your beautiful soul, but the ultimate purity of your soul, is Chukat, obedience, faith, one, infinite. From that comes all the footsteps. And no matter what the footstep looks like, ultimately within it, it comes from the essence, it has within it the essence, and thus even wisdom, understanding, love, fear, compassion, has within it, obedience. Zodchukat, HaTorah. This is the absolute obedience of the wisdom with which you will study Torah. I'm going to stop here, guys. Okay?